1: The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska! Come on, Robin. To the
0: Batcave. We haven't one moment to lose! The Bob Seska Show!
1: From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, January 5, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 351 of the Biden Harris administration, 307 days until the 22 midterms. I am on Instagram at TheBobSeska. Lots of geek stuff over there at TheBobSeska on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter at BobSesca underscore go. Happy New Year. How the hell was your break? I hope you made it through the holidays without COVID or without burning bridges with your family members. Okay, we're going to start off the year with... The Movies. Film critic and political writer Zaki Hassan is here today. I've known Zaki for a few years now, and we always seem to line up on both politics and comic book movies, my two favorite things in the whole world. So we're going to talk about both things today. Zaki is a top critic on Rotten Tomatoes. He's also a professor of communication and media studies. His film reviews have appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle, Huff Post, the Philadelphia Weekly, and in 2015, he was inducted into the prestigious San Francisco Film Critics Circle. He also co wrote Geek Wisdom. It's a book called Geek Wisdom, The Sacred Teachings of Nerd Culture. You can find Zacky's work at Zacky's and on Twitter at Zacky's Corner. Link in the description under this episode at Bob Okay, let's talk movies and politics with the great Zacky Hassan. The Bob Seska
0: Show. Keep us in the dark. Good morning.
1: There he is. Hey, Zachy, how are you? Thanks for having me. It was short notice. I apologize for that. I was completely out to lunch during the two weeks of the uh, holiday break. So
0: (laughs) I apologize for Uh, getting to you. If ever a time to be out to lunch, it's during holiday break, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I thought of you while I was uh, on my break because I've been binging the Netflix Daredevil series which, oh, nice. yeah, i way slow on the uptake with regard to that. But it was after <laughs> loving the Hawkeye series so much. Why, maybe you could tell me why the hell did Netflix cancel Daredevil after only three seasons? It's actually better than some of the mar- actual Marvel movies.
0: Well, I think what it came down to was uh, the cancellation occurred just as Disney was ramping up to Disney. Plus. And I think Netflix was like, uh, uh, they didn't want to be competing. Yeah, with with Disney, so they were they and you know uh, the the contract that they had was such that it took those Netflix Marvel characters off the board for two years, so Disney couldn't do anything with them for a two year period. So I think uh, Spider Man No Way Home and Hawkeye, but they they coincide almost exactly with when. Uh, Daredevil was canceled.
1: So what is it about Marvel that they end up uh, agreeing to some of these deals, like, uh, you know, giving away Spider-Man and the Hulk went to Universal? They seem to be just, uh, at least prior to the MCU developing, they seem to have been just throwing properties all out there. I guess this was a matter of uh, comic books hitting sort of a dark age, kind of in in the 90s a little bit there. And so maybe this was a uh, a financial move. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it's easy to forget because because the MCU is such a fact of life now. Yeah. That right the, the notion of putting all these characters together and just having it be this constantly unfolding thing mm-hmm. was was not even like far fetched. It was like, well, that's just never gonna happen. You know, yeah. that's <laughs> like like 20 years ago, a little over that. And so specifically when it comes to Spider-Man, I mean, there was a rights morass that just tied that character up, yeah. webbed him up, if you will, for for like the the, the entirety of the nineties. Yeah. And so finally, when Sony ended up with it, it was after just, you know cutting through like Orion had this slice of the rights and MGM at this, and they eventually got it. And then you know they signed Mar- the Marvel people just like the worst deal of all time. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> and also with with the with the, the X Men stuff too. The only difference is that stuff ended up at Fox, which right. you know through through corporate. The, the, I mean, it's all evil, right? All these mergers, but <laughs> yeah, I suppose the one upside in, in just this cascade of evil as well, but the MCU gets to use Wolverine, which I yeah, yeah. guess. <laughs> that's, that's part but, of the
1: agreement. They give us great movies, they give us great TV series, but at the same time we have to endure the evilness of what happens behind the scenes. It's like seeing Steve Mnuchin's name pop up in the credits for some of the DC movies. Like, <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> now I gotta cope with Steve Mnuchin in this movie that I love and having something <laughs> To do with it? In the Lego Batman movie or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. What did his name?
0: His name didn't pop up in the Lego Batman movie, did it? Or I'm are you just I'm fairly certain he's in there. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, Uh, somebody can double check, but I'm like, I'm like 87% (laughs) (laughs) certain.
1: All right, well, we're going to circle back to all of this crap here in just a second. But you know what? I I also really wanted to talk to you about a little bit of politics here before we uh, dig into uh, comic book movies again. Tomorrow, of course, is the one year anniversary of the one six insurrection a year later, do you feel as if the pendulum is swinging away from fascism or are we continuing to move slowly toward it? What's your read on where we're headed at this point and what we're headed toward? Because it depends on the day for me. Some days I feel like, well, things are improving a little bit. I mean, you have to look for it, but, you know, things are getting better. But then other days I go, ah, shit, we're screwed. So <laughs> where are you on that front?
0: Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely, it, it is sort of depending on when you catch me, but there is even, even in my moments of, of guarded optimism, there's yeah. this foreboding and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to truly encapsulate, but I can't help but feel like we are uh, slowly moving towards something even worse yeah. than what we have already been through and, and I don't know. I don't know if that's me being uh, alarmist or not alarmist enough. Mm -hmm. I just don't know.
1: You know what? I don't think you can be too alarmist. I I think with the urgency of what's happening, the things that we've witnessed, certainly a year ago tomorrow, uh, that these are all valid concerns. I think the level of concern is matching the level of the threat. And Mm -hmm. I think the danger is more along the lines of not taking it seriously enough. And I I tend to think that sometimes when you talk in broader, more conceptual terms like saving democracy or preventing fascism, I think sometimes people's eyes glaze over and they go, well, what does that even mean? What you're talking crazy talk now that can't happen here. Well, yeah, it kind of is. It kind of it's all happening yeah. here. Threat to democracy, rise of authoritarian fascism.
0: I mean, it's it's all, you know, Sinclair Lewis laid it out like forever ago. hmm. And and uh, we, I mean, it's just it's the the conversation. I was having a conversation with my brother yesterday, and we were talking about the in Virginia, you know, the traffic jam and everything that happened there. Oh yeah, and and it it occurred to me. I'm like, Trump was an idiot autocrat, mm-hmm. and one day we're gonna get an efficient autocrat. The 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 autocrat who says, oh, clear the traffic, you know, like fix that so that people are like, oh, well, hey, he did that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he gets the trains to run on time, so to speak. And and that's what I'm worried about. That's yeah. I'm yeah. more worried about that. You know, there's a theory that because
1: the greatest generation that witnessed the rise of fascism, certainly in Europe, imperialism in the Pacific and so on. Uh, they're all dying off. So therefore, the memory, the institutional memory of those events are kind of wearing away. Like There's Mm -hmm. not as much awareness of uh, the threat. But it seems to me as if there has been plenty of filmmaking that's been happening that's reminded us of the threat of fascism. It's not like it's some now hidden secret because the greatest generation is, uh, is in their nineties or even in some cases, their hundreds. It seems like right. the, this should be fresh in our minds. So sometimes I question that theory that because there are fewer people who experienced it and therefore we're careening more toward it as at the very least a curiosity.
0: I, you know, I, I wonder if people's concept of fascism is, sort of wedded to this notion of well if we don't see brown shirts marching in the streets then it's not really happening right (laughs) yeah i mean because to me i i look at i to me when we have a house of representatives that allows a madison Cawthorn or a a, a marjorie taylor green or i mean you you know the whole clown car Mm -hmm. um i feel like we have lost the threat fundamentally something is broken yeah because because I have I have ideological disagreements with people in the Democratic caucus. There is no one there who is remotely comparable to uh, the the people I mentioned.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's uh, it's confounding sometimes that uh, we live in an age where there are objectively horrible people that are now being elevated to a level, a stature of mm-hmm. importance, Donald Trump being one of the, the best examples of that. and uh, Or worst. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wonder what has led to that. Is it the slow boiling of the frog? Is that the kind of thing, like, the Republican Party was always headed in this direction? Or is there something that's more cultural that has risen up over the past, uh, whatever, decade, maybe the, the past six years or so, uh, depending on how you measure it, that has brought us to this place where there are, millions of people We're talking about maybe upward of 74 million people are like, yeah, this is fine. (laughs) This is no, not a problem. This is completely acceptable here in the United States. Uh, Please keep going. And they, they continue to support it. I, I can't wrap my head around what's brought us to that extreme.
0: I, you know, I, I, I say this in my classes all the time and I sound like a grumpy old man, but to me it's social media, social media, social media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the new Matrix film, uh, the one of the the characters, as uh, describing the hold of the Matrix on on the the uh, people who are trapped, and he says mm. the key is just keep people in the cycle of fear and anger. Yeah, yeah, that's the trick. Yeah, and. and- i mean that's that's what social media has done and it's kept it's siloed everybody to the point where uh, i mean there is no longer an objective there's no baseline where you can be like Mm -hmm. well this is what i feel well this is what i feel let's see what the facts say. well the facts say this okay i was wrong yeah now let's you know there there, there's no concept of that anymore Mm -hmm. and and the scary part is there's no unfrying this egg. (laughs) Yeah. There's a, a bigger
1: issue that I think you can correlate in with not just social media, but with the broader Internet. I always wonder if the Internet came along too soon, if we just weren't ready as a society to be able to handle... The democratization of information, and, and I,
0: I firmly believe that. Yeah, I firmly believe that. Yeah, and I—I
1: yeah. I, I mean, I'm someone who's availed himself of the internet. I mean, I've my right. entire career for the past 25 years has been centered around the internet. But at the same time, I recognize some of the dangers of that, and uh, I can't help but to correlate the glut of information that we're hit with on a daily basis with this uh, what I've been defining as the American nervous breakdown as this Mm -hmm. breakdown of how we behave in society how we interact with other people how we can no longer seem to act as a community is this sort of the, the thing that you're seeing too is it is it beyond just social media is it something where uh, we're just incapable of handling all of this information, whether it's disinformation, misinformation, or actual information.
0: Oh, I, I see it constantly. You know, I I teach uh, public speaking and I teach uh, media uh, studies, and and uh, specifically yeah. I focus in on journalism and things. And so I I drill down on this hard. You know, this mm-hmm. idea of you know just checking your sources and what does that mean, and it's it's sort of it's become my cross to bear a little bit because i'm just like it's so you know i've been teaching now for about 18 years right it's it's 16 17 years and so i've been seeing in real time how social media has impacted how my students take in process and uh repurpose information i've i've witnessed it i I, longitudinally Hmm. and it's it is gosh darn terrifying it truly is uh, the death of expertise. That's what we're living through, right? Now.
1: Yeah. Yes. Very well said. I love that. That's uh Tom Nichols uh, wrote a book with that title, yep. that specific That's title. Right. And I thought that was, yeah. you know, say what you will about Tom's politics and his <laughs> cur- right. curmudgeonly attitude online, but still he nailed it with the central thesis of that book. There is a separation. There is a divorce happening between uh, consumers of information and the experts who actually generate that information.
0: Yeah, well, you know what's 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 interesting to me is, uh, I, and you know this because I on on Twitter I engage in the political sphere and also in like the film nerd sphere, <laughs> yeah. and and I see certain uh, uh, dogmatic behaviors that have this weird Venn diagram of overlap, mm-hmm. and it's this sense of like, oh, you're a critic, don't tell me you're one of them, them, their elites. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> And I'm like, man, let me show you my monthly bank account. I'll show you how elite I am, right? <laughs>
1: exactly
0: right. <laughs> yep. You know, and and the same thing is applying in in in, in an entire different sphere. Just what we've seen it with the response to the 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 pandemic, mm. right? And the way, I mean, uh, you know, if I'm I just look at what Anthony Fauci, I see his brow is like perpetually furrowed because he's like, <laughs> guys. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask for this I want to retire I want to just like be with my grandkids I'm just trying to help y'all you know yeah yeah and it's this well who who made you the guy and it's like well he went to school he learned this right that's how it works right
1: yeah yeah And we've seen that illustrated in this uh, new Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up, uh, which seems like this would be something that's kind of squarely in your wheelhouse, uh, both combining satire of exactly where we are as a society right now and this existential threat that's coming down. I have
0: not seen the film yet, but I know I know that. I'm I'm making I'm trying to find the time to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: it's one of those things where you're going to look at it and whether you like it or not, I think you have to accept the reality that it's holding a mirror up to all of us, whether we're liberals, Democrats, uh, Republicans, conservatives, et cetera, that it's to an extent, it's all of us. We're all contributing to this distraction oriented meme culture, which is the kind of the central thesis of the film. It's basically that right. you know this this comet is heading toward Earth. and all we can do is, Tweet stupid shit about it and make, Hmm. you know, video memes on TikTok about it. The reaction to the movie was interesting insofar as proving the movie's thesis. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is a lot of people saw it and saw the opening credits and noticed David Sirota's name come up. And he's a divisive character. I mean, he's had me blocked since 2013. Recently, unblocked me because I had favorable things to say about Don't Look Up. But uh, (laughs) there was this focus on, ah, fuck this movie. David Sirota had something to do with it. Which, in, in fact, proves the point of the movie, which is you're missing the bigger message by focusing on this completely inconsequential uh, credit at the top of the mm-hmm. film. When yeah. all he did was just say a log line to Adam McKay in a phone conversation as like, ah, screw this. I'm not going to look at this because it's David Sirota. Well, yeah. you, you've you just proved the point of of the movie,
0: <laughs> but it's uh, and yeah. What, what you're saying. What's so interesting to me about what you're saying, right? It gets to sort of, you know, cognitive dissonance, how we react to cognitive dissonance, right? When mm-hmm. what we want conflicts with what is. So you you can imagine a film like this is pointing out an uncomfortable reality that people have to process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the ways we respond to cognitive dissonance is we reject the messenger. Mm-hmm. Right. So Sirota's name offers an off ramp. Well, it's that. Come on. Is that guy? Yeah, yeah I don't want to, you know, <laughs> and and, uh, you know, that that's very instructive, but it's also uh, sort of uh, uh, affirming a truism about human nature.
1: Well, and the other truism that comes up in the movie is basically generate it's ge- in the film. It generates the title of the movie, which is that at one point, Leonardo DiCaprio stops his car, sees the comet in the night sky. And says to everyone, because, of course, there's a movement in the United States to deny the existence of the comet. Right. Mm. You can see the allegory coming down Main Street for that. (laughs) And so what he does, he gets out of his car and points to the comet and said, everybody look up. There's the comet. Can you see it? Everybody look up. And he starts telling everybody to look up, everybody on the street corner and so on. And everyone starts to look up and then that becomes a meme. Look up just look up becomes a meme. And then of course the Fox News contingent or the fictionalized Fox News in the movie starts saying, No, don't look up. You shouldn't look up. <laughs> and so, you know, you get the political heads budding and it becomes a, you know, a whole hot potato there but just so appropriate and defining also the, the name of the, the film in and of itself. And right. I, it's, it's, it's a, uh, I, I think an important work irrespective of whether you think it's a great movie. So <laughs> you, I'm interested to hear your reaction once you uh, have a chance to see it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I've, I've sort of uh, glided past uh, the, the sort of overheated discourse because yeah. uh, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I, I'm a fan of Adam McKay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love his essay films. You know, I, I assign uh, the big short in my classes. So I'm really oh, yeah. much looking forward to watching it.
1: How are you, how are you coping with the pandemic at this point? Uh, I myself have reached the disillusionment with humans stage of coping. <laughs> are you, are you there yet?
0: Uh, I, I try to stay optimistic, but it, it is, it is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, you know, I, I, I think that where the point, the, place I'm at now is like, all I can do is whatever I can do. I'm not going to rely on sort of the world at large. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've done my, I'm triple, uh, triple shot at this point. My family, my, my daughter who's four, she's the only one who's obviously she's not vaccinated yet so that I'm trying to be extra cautious, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, it, it. I've been fortunate in that no one in my immediate circle uh, has has uh, perished as a result of the illness. Yeah, that's great. And and I think statistically, I, that's an abnormality. You know, so mm-hmm. I feel very lucky about that. But uh, definitely, n- now in the last week or so, I mean, gosh, breakthrough infections just up the yin yang. Oh, yeah. All, yeah. Uh, and so I, my my entire extended family is like uh, vaxed and boosted. So I feel I'm glad about that. You know, I haven't I haven't had to have like the angry conversations with close family, which I'm so glad about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, thank goodness for that.
1: I haven't known anyone uh, at least directly who has died from it yet, but something has died inside of me. And I can say that with (laughs) all honesty and all seriousness. I mean, there was a point where I had this, you know, this level of, you know, as a liberal, I'm pretty patriotic as far as my view of my fellow American. You know, like, we, we've we achieved some great things. We went to the moon. We defeated the Nazis. We defeated Imperial Japan. We did all these wonderful things. We created the Internet and the iPhone and all the rest. And we just can't do this. And over the past, certainly going back to 2015, 2016, and the rise of Donald Trump, the election of Donald Trump, coming to terms with that But then that uh, melting into the pandemic by the end. And now here we are coming up on two years into this thing with very little end in sight, obviously some rays of hope. But, you know, with that, I go, you know what? I just I can't find it within me anymore to say, yeah, we can achieve things like defeating the climate crisis or whatever the next pandemic happens to be or this issue or that issue. It's uh, It's not a great place to be in, Zachy. Uh, I don't no. know if you're in the same place, but, man, it's been hard to see all of this transpire and then go, mm, God damn. You know what? A large part of this has very little to do with Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever else. A lot of this has to do with our inability to see uh, the macro picture, the societal picture and all of this. And I don't know what can change that.
0: I, I think... Uh, what the last couple of years have shown is that, uh, uh, to your point, like we're not as advanced as we think, yeah, because we're subject to the same superstitions, the same, same tribal uh, desire to just cling to our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 uh, you know, as, as you said, Trump is certainly a symptom of something much bigger, but on the other hand, when you look at the early days of the pandemic, I mean, this guy, when you think about it, if he would have just been like, look, uh, this is going to, this is going to be a challenge. We're going to get through it. It's going to be rough. We just got to, we, we got to get through it. It's going to be difficult, but we'll, we have to ride it out, whatever it takes, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody would have blamed him. Like people would have even people on the left would have been like, yeah, he's 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 saying something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And his own paranoid, you know, the, the whole, uh, uh, you know, oh, I can't be seen as weak or the economy. Well, all the nonsense like he turned this into that much more of a challenge, because when you think about it before uh, b- before this pandemic, the, the anti-vaxxers were these fringe hippie characters. Yeah. It wasn't a measure of your what, what your political affiliation is. Mm-hmm. And now it's an article of faith that A, Trump won the election, but it was stolen, and B, uh, the pandemic is made up, and vaccines aren't real. And, and even when he says, no, no, actually, it's real. <laughs> I mean, you know, the 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 they, they turn on him, you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at. All
1: right. More with Zaki Hassan here in just a second. But first, today's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If there's something interfering with your happiness, if there's something bringing you down, if there's something depressing you, preventing you from achieving your goals, don't sweat it. I've got the solution for you. Write this down. It's called Help. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp is going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. You can log into your account anytime you want, send a message to your therapist and get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, possibly getting Omicron, none of that crap. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and good news, financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So here's the deal. Visit BetterHelp.com slash That's BetterHelp.com C-E-S-C-A and join the over 2 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Here's your special offer for Bob Seska Show listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com sesca That's BetterHelp.com slash Thank you. The
0: Bob Seska Show.
1: It's hard to have hope when you're looking at things and going, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. It's Chinatown. It's not going to change. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like there's something. I feel a sense of futility sometimes when I'm talking about this stuff because. Uh, I'm debating between the idealistic side of myself and the more disillusioned, cynical, realist side of myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in this constant uh, uh, garbage compactor uh, trying to figure out, uh, you know, a way out. And that's uh, a yeah. that's a real challenge. And uh, and it's not helping to have, um, you know, segments of the press. And I try not to indict all the press because there is some great reporting happening, certainly during the, the Trump years. we had. Significantly uh, excellent reporting uh, going on. Uh, But I see the current condition of journalism and I go, wow, you know what? Ultimately, those of us who are, you know, spending our days on Twitter and and writing about this stuff independently, we're like the last line of defense, really. (laughs) I mean, we're kind of on our own, aren't we? (laughs)
0: Yeah, it does feel like it.
1: But, uh, Along the lines of the pandemic, and and this is kind of semi related, um, certainly, you know, in the list of priorities, not way up there. But let's talk about the move toward streaming over theatrical presentation for films. Uh, Are you at the point now where you're grieving the death of theaters or was it always going to happen? And the pandemic simply accelerated that.
0: Yeah, I think you know uh, what I've said previously is that even before the pandemic, we were sort of we were seeing a great sorting. Yeah, where the theatrical experience is clearly not dead because a whole mess of people went to see Spider Man. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you know, at pre-pandemic levels. So clearly, there is a desire, but what we are seeing is that desire is pretty much boiling down to. uh you know maybe superhero movies and not mm-hmm. even all superhero movies i mean that marvel stamp in front is obviously a big factor yeah but but kind of the big the 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 franchise and the crowd pleasing you know the 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 theme park rides and i don't say that even dismissively because i get i get the appeal of that mm-hmm. uh definitely like look don't look up would have been a theatrical movie yeah not that long i mean je- geez you know vice went to theaters so now i think People are feeling like the convenience plus the shrinking of the theatrical window has sort of, it, it, you know, if we think of like Don't Look Up as like the middle class of movies, the middle class is shrinking, just like in real life. Um, because, you know, the the window, that what's the theatrical window? It's like 45 days now? Yeah, just about. You know, so I think I think older moviegoers, uh, which includes, you know, people like us, <laughs> are oftentimes <laughs> making the decision like, well, it's like a month and a half, I can wait. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah.
0: Um, and and so when we're on the other side of the pandemic, which will hopefully be sooner than later, I think a lot of those habits will stick around. I think that's 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 my guess.
1: Who's leading this switchover? Is it the studios? Is it consumers? In the chicken and egg scenario, is it it the studios or is it uh, uh, moviegoers?
0: It's funny that you say chicken and egg because I was actually going to make that point that it's almost (laughs) it's it's hard to say because uh, I think the 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 audience for these smaller movies has been shrinking. Yeah. And as it shrank theatrically, excuse me. The, these movies have become much more prominent And prevalent via streaming sources I mean, mm-hmm. Netflix Kind of for a while there was like the Perceived as the dumping ground for like Not great originals <laughs> you know, yeah. Not good enough for theatrical, right? Mm-hmm. That was sort of the perception And that's not really the case I mean, they have some, some you know They drop some steamers every now and then But um, now there is like the Irishman And and uh, um, Oh God, what, you know um, uh, I'm drawing a total blank yeah, well, d- I
1: mean, don't look up, as you were saying before. That's, don't don't uh, look that's up. Ro- Roma, yeah. that's yeah. another one. Roma, you know, yeah. like,
0: these like prestige films, right? Yep. yep. And so now people are getting acclimated to the idea that that's where you can watch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the trade-off for me personally is there is something uh, about the theatrical experience that is uh, uh, hard to replicate, which is the feeling of like, generally speaking if you're there you will watch the whole thing right yeah people rarely will be moved to walk out of a movie outright Mm -hmm. uh not to say they don't but you mean it has like your bar has to be much higher of like this sucks i'm out of (laughs) here where right Mm -hmm. whereas if you're watching on netflix or whatever if it doesn't grab you you flick away very easily yeah And so that's something that I feel like once that's lost, we're really losing something, which is not even necessarily the the experience with the audience, although there is that, but just the experience, the communion between you and the film in a darkened room where you are there and you're going to watch the whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're a captive audience. And there's another layer that I don't know if we often think about, and that is there's another layer of fun that's added to the process of seeing a film in a theater, and that is hearing the audience reaction. There's something that's affirming about that. When you personally find a joke to be funny or a scene to be particularly scary or shocking, and then to also hear everyone else reacting the same way, you feel like there's a sense of community around that. And in an age when Community is now separated into little uh, branding fiefdoms on social media. It's nice to come together with people who also live in your neighborhood or your town and see something all at the same time where everyone's mixed in together. I mean, pandemic threat aside. There's yeah. something that's appealing about that psychologically, and I think uh, we miss that. As much as I love watching a movie in my living room, <laughs> yeah. uh, I I miss that. I miss that part of the uh, the process, part of the uh, uh, the fun of seeing a movie
0: in a theater. Hundred percent. Totally.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, as we've been saying, comic book movies are driving box office numbers, keeping uh, theaters alive to a certain extent. But the films themselves, despite that, despite the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is a colossal, in the history of filmmaking, it's one of the most colossal achievements that I think we've seen, certainly in our lifetime, if not going back, you know, whatever it is, yeah. 150 years. Uh, but, But the films themselves are still punchlines among non-fans. No. What is it What is it about comic book movies that brings out so much elitist disdain for them? I mean, these aren't kids' movies. I mean, most of the—certainly the Marvel movies and even the DC movies as well, even going back to the, the Tim Burton universe and then the Christopher Nolan universe, they're allegories for very serious real-world problems. And whether it's geopolitical, as we saw with Civil War— uh, uh, or just personal issues, like the Spider-Man movies tend to cover a lot. Um, yeah. What is it about these movies that draw so much? Like, ah, those comic book movies are just for kids, and they're stupid. And why? Why do so many people love the Marvel universe? There's this whole backlash, right? <laughs> what, what's causing that? What What really is causing that?
0: Well, I think I think what we, I mean, there's a, there's a couple different. Uh, sources of sort of the incoming fire right one there's obviously there's the tribal stuff which is just as ideological in comic book movies as in actual politics where Mm -hmm. fans of one universe are like well i like my Mm -hmm. my colored tights people better than those colored tights people you know there's that um and then there's the you know there's the the martin scorsese critique which is you know this is the death of cinema or whatever um and and i think when you achieve this high level of success, I mean, it does create that resentment of, you know, it's thinning the pool of success available to other people. Yeah. Other, other films. And I don't think that's necessarily true because, I mean, uh, what we've seen with... I mean just again just look at the pandemic look at the films that have succeeded and that haven't I mean Mm -hmm. people may have made an effort to go see certain things and certain ones have they've just chosen not to uh and going back to what I was saying earlier I think I think the Marvel Studios name in front of a film has come to represent a certain baseline of quality yeah um which is why I mean for for all of the sort of I mean, throughout my life, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this, you know, superhero films were always the, they were like the look down on thing, but there's a level of mainstream acceptance of, of the Marvel universe. That's unlike anything I've ever seen mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to this stuff. And and certainly, you know, I see it with my, my, my students who, you know, when you think about it, like now my, my current age range of students are between 18 and 20. Mm-hmm. So like the MC has just been around most of their lives. Yeah. Like, it's just a fact of their existence. And so that's something I find really fascinating, the way it transcends demographics. And I think that speaks to why those projects tend to be as successful as they are. I mean, I think, like, even Eternals, which was not particularly well-received, like, it did okay. I don't think it it was, like, a smash, but it did okay because people showed up. Yeah, yeah. Just because of the name, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, And so it, it's... To me, I am I find it exhilarating, but I'm also, because there's that pessimistic side of me, I'm like, well, there's probably like a waterfall just just across the edge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're about due. Well, you know, I don't peg these things any
1: differently than, say, for example, the lavish Hollywood musicals of the 1950s or yeah. the uh, spaghetti westerns that rose up in the 60s and early 70s. These are genres that dominated uh, filmmaking for significant periods of time, and we're just It seems to me as if we're just in a phase where there are a lot of superhero movies because that's what the audience is demanding, and certainly we're both part of that audience. And so when I hear Scorsese, who I love uh commenting about uh, the decline of you know modern filmmaking modern cinema because of these movies i kind of bristle at that because it fails to acknowledge the history of trends in in popular filmmaking over the years and there's right. been a lot of you know watered down dreck that's hit the theaters at various periods of time yeah. in our past and it had nothing to do with whether it was you know a superhero from a comic book uh, as the lead it certainly yeah. had to do with an appetite it certainly had to do with a a zeitgeist thing where yeah this is an appropriate thing to show uh at this period of time the gritty uh more auteur driven movies of the 70s is another example of that
0: and and not just that i mean if we if we look at the start of sort of what we you know the the modern superhero paradigm as tim burton's batman yeah we're now 30 plus years into this Mm mm-hmm Like, like, I mean, there is enough diversity within the genre that it's not, it's just, it's too easy to be like, oh, well, you've got arrested development if you watch these movies, like, come on, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, 30 plus years out, there is, there, there there are plenty of of failures within there, but there are plenty of major, major successes. So Mm -hmm. you're diminishing a big chunk of the audience uh, by boiling it down that way. And the other thing, you know, going back to what you were saying about Scorsese, you know, I, again, I, I've said all along. Look, man, he made uh, he made taxi driver. He made Goodfellas. He can have whatever opinion he wants. Yeah, I may not disagree, but I want to hear what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But you know, the, the Irishman. Look, let's be real. He would not have been able to make that the way he did for a theatrical release. It would have been chopped down. It would have mm-hmm. he would have had to make compromises. Netflix let him make the movie he wanted and like it or leave it. That's what he wanted to make. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's one of the exciting things about this is that we're seeing not just auteur-driven films appearing in streaming format. But what we're also seeing, and this is one of the great advantages, this is one of the things I love about it, where you take, for example, a miniseries like Dope Sick or Promising yeah. Young Woman or The Queen's Gambit, where it's just it's one season, maybe six episodes of something. But if you think of it in terms of the theatrical paradigm, basically what we're getting is a three movie trilogy broken into six parts. That story arc is something that would normally take, uh, you know, several years to tell in theatrical presentation, and we're getting it all in one big chunk. To me, that indicates a significant upswing in the the kinds and quality of films. Uh, that we're getting now and that's only to me a positive thing irrespective of whether it's superheroes or gangsters or uh you know a fantasy story or whatever so it's all seems to me it's all good and to to complain about streaming yeah it's it's great to see something in a movie theater but at the same time the quality of the filmmaking that we're getting uh is benefiting from from that platform
0: yeah it i mean and and that's you know part, part of me wonders if it's just i'm i'm sort of wedded to that specific you know my my uh reverence for the theatrical experience sort of i'll always sort of cling to that mm-hmm. but i have to fully acknowledge that you know uh kids today and i realize me saying kids today just makes me sound like 20 years older than i am <laughs> I mean, they're watching this shit like, however, you know what I mean? They'll be sitting in their car mm-hmm. watching uh, Breaking Bad on their phone. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so the barriers are breaking down, and I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's just what it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. If I were a filmmaker, though, I would bristle at people watching my movie on their phone. <laughs> Sure. That, that would be the one thing. I mean, I, you know, I watch all this streaming shit, but it's always in my living room on my big uh, television from Costco. So th- that is, uh, to me, the most faithful way to view uh, streaming content. And yeah, that goes back to Scorsese. I guess he was complaining about people watching uh, his movies on a, on a telephone. And, and you know what? Yeah. He's, he's got a point. <laughs> he's got a point in that. And,
0: and, and, and the, the thing is, y- you look at that and you're just like, I I fully agree with with that, and I certainly wouldn't do it. But that's what's happening, and mm. for the for many people in the audience, there that's just how they're consuming it. Yeah, yeah. And so, it, what? How do you swim against that tide? Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody tweeted something a while ago, which I found very funny. Where uh, this was when Tenet, the movie Tenet, was about to come out, yeah. And you know, Chris Nolan was like real hell bent. You know, you got to watch it in theaters; got to be theatrical. And somebody <laughs> said, and I'm paraphrasing, but they're like, "I want to record." uh i i want to record a video of christopher nolan watching me watch tenet on my (laughs) apple watch watching tenet on my apple watch and i want to screen the video of nolan's reaction in imax (laughs) (laughs) i love that oh my
1: god yeah yeah um that is great uh (laughs) And, and, you know, that brings up an interesting point just from a fanboy perspective. And I know uh, in the last few days, at the very least, and I know this has happened to you before. I know where you're heading. (laughs) Where, Yeah, you've been up against some of these fanboy collectives, whether it's uh, Star Wars fanboys or Zack Snyder fanboys. I mean, I'm in this weird phantom zone, Zacky, where... I love Zack Snyder's DC movies, all three of them. Right. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like the only fan of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the ultimate edition, of course. Uh, but I also love Star Wars, yet so many of the fanboys in these two areas are completely toxic and like off yeah. the charts militant. I've noticed that you face the wrath of uh, both Star Wars fanboys and uh, Zack Snyder (laughs) fanboys. What is that like going up against See, I deliberately avoid it because I deal enough with that kind of crap with politics. I don't need more of it. And you're you're kind of in both worlds.
0: So how do you deal with that? You know, the 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 Snyder stuff I find endlessly fascinating because I like you talk about like being in a bubble. Uh, That's what I get from these really militant Snyder fans, you know. And and I should couch this by saying, I and you know this, I adored Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Mm -hmm. the the four hour. I it's it's one of my favorite movies of last year. I think it's one of the best DC movies ever made. Absolutely, I loved it. I I just watched it two days ago on the four K Blu-ray that I forked over for. So I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I I've spent money to own this. But why do you and hate man. Zack Snyder? <laughs> <laughs> This—that's <laughs> this, the conversation again and again. Yeah, and it's because you know, it's funny—is I—I gave a positive review to Watchmen. I gave a positive review to Man of Steel. I wasn't a, a, a huge fan of the BVS uh, theatrical cut, and so as a result of that, five years ago, seven, six years ago now, I'm—I'm I'm still taking incoming fire, and—and mm-hmm. and I find it, you know, I mean, mostly I—I I mute these people so like they they can just be screaming into the wind you know (laughs) yeah but it's literally like they've got these screen grabs of things i said offhandedly you know uh, like i said six years ago and they're just like yeah well you said this you know and (laughs) and and i'm sort of i'm like look i changed my mind like isn't that a good thing yeah you're
1: an intellectual that's what intellectuals do change your mind with the new information
0: I, because I, I in the lead up to to Snyder's Justice League, I re, I watched Man of Steel again. Mm. I watched the Ultimate Edition of BVS, and I was like, you know what? As a trilogy, I'm I'm down. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I watched it with my kids. They enjoyed it. And I'm like, that's you know. And I've said all along, hey, if there's more, I'll watch it. If not, well, you know, I I I've got other movies I can watch too. I'm gonna get on with my life. <laughs> yeah, it's a healthy it, point of view for a grown up to have. Exactly. I I I'd like to think, you know. And so the 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 sort of militancy. What, what I find, again, just as like a sociological phenomenon, I'm just like, you know, because th- they've got their hashtags and, their, you know, it's like boycott Warner Brothers and all, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do you think this is going to work? Like, like, what's your end game here, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that ultimately, anything, any decision we make, right? We're like, well, what do I want to accomplish? How do I get there? Mm-hmm. So if you're sending, uh, 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 you know, cruel messages and death threats, et cetera, well, you're um, like, People in a position to make a decision are not necessarily going to lean in your direction. So why do that? That seems odd to me. Yeah, yeah. How does it matter? Of course.
1: How much of the fanboy community is jacked up by overseas troll farms? I mean, not unlike what's happening in politics over the past six years or so. I imagine that the effort to destabilize the United States also involves injecting disinformation into some of these fanboy communities discussion forums and uh, re- certainly reddit threads and so on uh, is that something that you see is uh, is going on or is that simply restricted to politics
0: uh, you know I I don't rule it out yeah be- because some of it really does feel like it almost feels like a parody right it feels yeah, like right like, you can't really be like this you know i know, I know. but yeah. i mean uh, uh, certainly in the star wars uh, twitter community yeah uh, you know i have said it uh, I, I wrote an article uh, for the chronicle uh, a couple of years ago this is in the lead up to to rise of skywalker and i said it's an ancient arabic proverb that no one hates star wars more than star wars fans <laughs> exactly
1: right absolutely <laughs> i that's one that i just i don't get that at all <laughs> the i don't know there's this thing i guess we just we love to hate certain things or that uh, you know maybe the original trilogy was out so long as the only star wars that we got into this yeah. mode where yeah was, we love it so much that we feel comfortable picking it apart and that right. manifested into or grew into this larger thing where fuck all of this. And that guy's, we can't have a black storm trooper and we can't have a woman lead of this new. It's just like, what, what are you, what are you even talk We're talking about star Wars here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Really frustrating.
0: I mean, all, all like for me, when I look at something like star Wars, I'm like, this is something that in the past has brought me joy. Mm-hmm. And, and so whenever I get to revisit that world, I feel a little piece of that joy. again. Yeah. yeah. It hasn't happened yet because I've generally enjoyed most of the Disney Star Wars stuff to one degree or another mm-hmm. um, But if I reach a point where I'm like Well I don't like this I'll just be like well I'm not going to watch This right well <laughs> you know and, and I expect the same thing will happen With the Marvel things I'm sure at some point There will be a thing where I'm like well this just isn't It's just not for me
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and I'll just watch the other thing that I like Better then that's it yeah. you know
1: yeah well, on the other hand, uh, when Palpatine rises from the dead, Palpatine yeah, has right. returned. <laughs> so, then it's somehow, like, oh,
0: yeah. somehow Palpatine
1: has returned. <laughs> Why is Disney kicking me in the balls? Why is this happening? That's the reaction to it. Palpatine has returned? Oh, my God. Disney is ruining my, raping my childhood. <laughs> God. It's, and, it, you know, you could go all the way back to 1999 and see the same goddamn thing happening around the Phantom Menace. You know, <laughs>
0: Although it took a couple
1: more years for that to start, but yeah.
0: Well, no, I mean, and and that's actually a really good example because that's the journey I went on with the prequels. Because Mm. I would say I spent, you know, a decent chunk of my early to mid 20s sort of being pissed off about the prequels. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, it took, uh, you know, I softened over time with them because, uh, you know, as you get older, you just stop caring about most things. But, mm. but uh it really took watching them with my kids and seeing them react to it where they just, they just sort of take it as it is. Yeah. And, and that doesn't, you know, as a critic, that sounds counterintuitive. Like, Oh, you're going easy on it. It's like, well, no, because I'm not reviewing it. I'm just, I'm just watching it now. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I don't need to, I don't need to be like, Oh, they should have done this. Why didn't they do that? like all the, built up expectations i had yeah yeah my kids just watch them as well no that's anakin and he's a kid and they're and these darth vader now and they you know they just take it at that level and i'm like you know my star wars will always be those three movies and i love mm-hmm. them for that and i'll always have that special connection the other stuff i'm not going to connect in the same way but if other people are and it's bringing them joy, then all I can do is just step out of the way and let them have their thing.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, I famously did a fan edit of Attack of the Clones because oh, it was wow. one of those things where when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, well, maybe there's a <laughs> there's a really good Star Wars movie in here. It's just lost somewhere in this convoluted plot. So I thought, okay, I'm going to see if I can uh, rejigger this thing. So I dumped the DVD into my edit bay and started screwing around with it. And all that being said, uh, I'm not going to sit here and proselytize over all of the downsides of Attack of the Clones. Uh, It it just, it doesn't seem important enough for that and and certainly there are people who who like that movie i knew a guy uh who was my same age uh, who was saying oh yeah attack of the clones it's like godfather 2 i don't need i don't know what's happening but something fascinating is going on with this storytelling you're like
0: oh well okay
1: (laughs) all right yeah and what else can you
0: say yeah what else can you say about that okay
1: yeah that's fine exactly right Well, you know, I've been wanting to talk with you about um, anti-heroes and humanizing villains. Um, What I mean by that specifically is, you know, whether it's Anakin Skywalker being humanized or Darth Vader being humanized as Anakin Skywalker or Boba Fett now in the new Boba Fett series, we kind of sympathize with Boba Fett. Uh, Tony Soprano was kind of one of the earlier, you know, David Chase was one of the early adopters of this. Uh, Anti-heroes are humans too. Anti heroes are people too. And then even this past summer with the Loki series where this vile, awful villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe (laughs) is suddenly you're rooting for Loki like yay Loki Um, has has the cinematic trend toward bad guys with hearts, um, uh, how do I put this, blurred our perception of good versus evil, right versus wrong. Has this had any sort of influence in how we perceive some of these more macro, uh, moral or value oriented things?
0: That is so interesting. Wow. I'm just, I mean, uh, on the one hand, you can, this is not a recent thing. I mean, you can go as far back as Michael Corleone. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and certainly, I mean, I, I think for me what's interesting is the process we as audiences go through as we watch these characters Mm -hmm. and we, we end up, you know, rooting for them if only because we're spending the most time with them in the context of the film. Uh, and like, what's the line after which you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm not with you past this, you know? Yeah. Right. And I think like, for example, going back to Godfather, I would say you're sort of with Michael up until Fredo dies. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, no, no, no. And I think, I think there's similar examples, you know, I think, uh, breaking bad is another example. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when do we jump off the train with Walter White? or do we. Yeah, that's is and it? that's the thing. That's I mean, uh
1: Vince Gilligan is a great storyteller when it comes to the slow boiling of the frog where Walter White yeah. through the series of awful decisions goes from someone who, you know, we don't necessarily admire but we don't hate him either. He's not a bad guy mm-hmm. until yeah. finally he's this horrible drug kingpin and before we know it there he is Uh, it's it's happened and it's a genius uh, way of uh, of telling a a character study telling a story uh but at the same time it it happens almost imperceptibly uh, over the course of the five seasons
0: yeah See, I I would say the using Loki like that's almost the inverse of that. Not to say that the shows are comparable because Breaking oh, yeah, Bad yeah. is like the greatest thing ever. But Loki is like a bad guy who's slowly on the road to redemption, whereas <laughs> it's the right is the mm-hmm. exact opposite on, yep. on Breaking Bad. So I I think with Loki, I think what we saw there is was the acknowledgement that this character, it, almost despite himself and I, I chalk it up to Hiddleston just being so goddamn charming oh yeah uh, the, the audience embraced him even as he like tried to you know he, he, he basically in the first Avengers he he's uh, trying to be the new Hitler you know oh yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you he, literally, you have the Jewish guy being like, no, no, I've seen you before. You know?
1: <laughs> and, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily blaming these characters or the filmmakers who invented them uh, for this kind of disintegration, this inability for 74 million Americans, for example, seeing Donald Trump as this virtuous guy who we should elect yeah. as president, give control over the nuclear codes to this unequivocal uh inarguably bad man this con artist and so many people failed to see that despite everyone's warnings like flagging everyone off no no this guy you don't want to elect this guy this guy's got a, a long history going back to the 70s of being a colossal prick in new york city don't vote for him and they're like well yeah what's wrong with him and I'm right. not I'm not necessarily blaming these films or these characters for Donald Trump or anything like that. What I guess what I'm saying is uh, it's possible that our perception has skewed because of this. And then it has been therefore exploited by people like Donald Trump, people like Roger Ailes. and think you something. Yeah.
0: No, no, I think you're absolutely on to something. And. And the only what I find confusing is there's definitely those people are like, well, he's an asshole, but he's our asshole. Yeah, right, I mean. right, right. right But then there's the people who who paint like portraits of him, like uh, all muscle bound <laughs> and all you know, this kind of weird, like like Fabio book cover type things, mm-hmm. with him, you know, and and that's what I don't understand, because I can kind of like I don't I, I don't agree with it, but I can understand that, well, we just need an asshole to get in there and just screw things up.
1: Yeah. Right, right.
0: I, again, I, I, okay, fine. But the, the, where you're, where people are, are, are uh, propping him up as this sort of, I mean, there's those paintings where like Jesus is looking over his shoulder as he's mm. like signing a bill I'm like, where is that coming from? Yeah. That's what I don't get. <laughs> I know. Well, you know,
1: when I really examine this phenomenon and really start thinking about it, if I were to blame anything, and I'm not, as I said, I'm not blaming the Loki TV series for Donald Trump. <laughs> it would be ridiculous. But <laughs> the one thing that I have noticed that has occurred, certainly since the late 80s or early 90s, is the rise of reality television, where the characters that we love the most in reality television are mm-hmm. always the assholes. Yeah, the true. assholes are always the most popular <laughs> you know so members true. i don't even, i don't want to say characters I guess they are characters in a sense <laughs> but um yeah maybe that looped into the mix as well, knowing the popularity of these shows and the popularity of these despicable, horrible human beings that occupy the real housewives and, you know, you can go back to some, you know, Puck on The Real World going that going that far back. Puck is, uh, like, anyone, you ask anyone about The Real World, you remember The Real World? Oh, yes, I remember Puck. Well, Puck was the dick from The Real yeah. World. No one liked Puck, but that's the one we remember. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, don't no, know well, like... you know,
0: you like, remember the first season of Survivor? Uh, yeah. The, the Richard Hatch. Richard Hatch. <laughs> Total, exactly like, right. You know, it's funny, I never watched Survivor, but I knew, like, everybody was talking about it. Yep, yep. And I oh yeah, that guy. He's the dick, you
1: know?
0: <laughs> exactly. Literally. Richard <laughs> right. was the dick. And leading up to the election of Donald
1: Trump, he was the host of The Celebrity Apprentice, for tw- or the Apprentice and then The Celebrity Apprentice for 12 yeah. years. Him and his ridiculous children were on television every week mm. for that span of time. And they were assholes. They were assholes to their contestants. Their contestants were assholes to them. The celebrities who would appear on there, whether it's Gary Busey or Meatloaf, they were all assholes. And we love it.
0: We love it. And And, and for for a decade or however long they were doing that, they were presenting this fiction of being competent, of being successful. You know, honestly, if anyone needs a smack upside the head, it's Mark Burnett, because (laughs) as far as he he owns, at least like 30% of Trump getting elected, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, look again, I always hesitate to blame art. I always hesitate to blame uh, the culture for some of these political problems, but I can't help but to see at the very least, some sort of correlation between asshole on reality shows, or the humanization of villains in in certain genres of film, and you know the rise of um, popular villains in politics, popular villains in public life, and uh, it, it's hard to square those things. As an artist myself, it's hard for me to to blame
0: art for where yeah. we are. So it's about, a struggle. But you're 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 onto something yeah. because when we see uh these these various uh you know congressional critters who are on twitter and they're mm-hmm. they're kind of talking smack about about each other i mean how is that different from like the trash talk before a wrestling match that's, that's
1: right. right yeah yeah
0: it's the same <laughs> exactly. and, and the problem the fundamental problem is guys this is not a wrestling match you all got to get in there and you got to get stuff done like mm-hmm. if we're at the point where, where, you know, what's her name is t- calling people termites and, and this and that. Like, how do you get stuff done? Yeah, you I know, know? I know, we've we just as a as a as a society, we've lost sight of that. Uh, that that you know when when you're on the highway sometimes you got to slow down sometimes you got to speed up so that other people can merge yeah yeah well unfortunately yeah. we're in
1: this age where trolling is the thing that they're getting done that's marjorie yeah. taylor green that's her entire yeah. job it's not she she's doesn't she's chasing sit, that clout exactly doesn't sit on any committees uh <laughs> maybe throws in a vote uh, a floor vote once in a while but mainly what she does is she trolls democrats that's her entire job as a member of congress and i hope people of Georgia Georgia will note that uh when she's up for re-election next year or this so. year we're already in 22 what am I we thinking? are <laughs> yeah yeah so speaking of that, is now. are there any movies you're looking forward to this year anything coming up that you're uh, really excited
0: for oh man well obviously the Batman yeah uh oh my goodness yep. uh I I didn't I didn't re- like what's funny is if you would have asked me a year and a half ago I'd have been like yeah, you know, I'll watch it. You know, like I I'm like kind of <laughs> Batmaned out. Right? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and then I saw uh, the first full trailer and I'm like, nope, pl- pl- plug this into my veins. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely ready for that. And yeah, then yeah. um and then uh, honestly, Doctor Strange is one that I think that it, there's going to be a lot of renewed interest because of you know, his role in Spider-Man, but I, I truly like. I think the first Doctor Strange is one of the best MCU movies. I absolutely love it, so yeah, I'm really yeah. excited for yeah. him to get his sequel.
1: In fact, I think we're going to get some good visual effects in the new Doctor Strange movie. because Sam the, Raimi. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, but it's also Yannick Sirs, who um, he won the Oscar for The Matrix, the visual effects. Nice. So he was a visual effects supervisor on The Matrix. Uh, he was nominated for The Avengers, did uh, visual effects on that, did uh, visual effects on uh, uh, Homecoming, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, he's he's worked in the MCU a bunch of times. He did Batman Begins. He was the supervisor on that one, and so he's doing the Doctor Strange sequel. And I'm so psyched just for nice. the visuals because. This is the guy, this is the visual effects supervisor. And, and by the way, full disclosure, I know him personally. So, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he made the best on-screen Hulk in the Avengers. He was uh, responsible to him in ILM. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And they really, the, the Hulk was absolutely at its peak in that as a character in that movie, as far as the overall look of, of the Hulk. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be some, uh, exciting visuals in, uh, the new Dr. Strange movie. So yeah, that's I interrupted anything else you're, uh, looking forward to.
0: Uh, well, we, we got, we had, uh, the knives out sequel. I think the oh, first yeah, one yeah. that's coming out this year, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and of course, uh, Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh,
1: I-, I, that that's one where I'm going,
0: don't fuck it up i'm like
1: i know i'm like going to my uh my andy muschetti altar here in my house i got candles lit and little pictures of (laughs) of michael keaton as Batman. i'm like don't please don't fuck this up because there's lots of opportunity to fuck it up and i i'm just i'm on the edge of my seat about that one
0: the thought i have is that keaton did not need to do this yeah And so there must have been something that made him say, yeah, this is worth it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what intrigues me. That's what intrigues me. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And there's obviously a lot of controversy right now because there was a a rumor going around, and this could be entirely debunked. So please chalk this up as a rumor, but that (laughs) The Flash, obviously The Flash movie is going to use time travel to... Uh, at least in the storyline, erase the events of the Zack Snyder movies. And (laughs) obviously that has... Uh, generated (laughs) all kinds of very friendly and rational debate (laughs) on social media. Very reasoned. (laughs) (laughs) I I know. Uh, But yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that one too. So, uh, Zachy, it was great to have you on the show today. I'm so glad to to finally get you on and I I definitely want to have you back on on a regular basis, not just to talk about uh, movies but also politics as well. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate your time.
0: Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it.
1: Take it easy. Bye-bye.